Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to today's episode of Musings with Jesus. My name is Shola. I'm your host. Thank you for joining me. I hope you're well. I hope all is good with you in your world. I hope everything's fine. You know, um, I just think about, you know, I think with every passing day, I become more aware as I learn more about I read the Bible more, I study, I read um, books, theology books. I get to realize that there's a whole lot I don't know. <laughs> the more I know, the more I find out what I do not know. But what I'm happy about that the Bible does for me is that I think it answers the big questions. It answers the big questions. How did we get here? Is there a God? What does it look like? What is right? What is wrong? You know, how should a society be? You know, what what is my responsibility as a citizen? How should I deal with my neighbor? You know, all those things that are very existential. These are things that, you know, you need to know. And um, I, I have said in previous episodes that I sense the need to go back into the Bible and begin to pick out those things that you know jesus actually taught that has to do with how we deal with other human beings because i think it's very i think the whole you know prosperity gospel and self-actualization gospel and oh bless me ministry has taken our attention away from our civic duties as christians and i use the word civic because um, we're part we're members of the kingdom of god so just like you have civic duties in this natural world, there are, there, are, there are civic duties as well in the kingdom. There are things that every citizen of the kingdom is expected to do. You know, it's written in the doctrine of the kingdom. But we're not teaching that. All we're teaching is, it's like you have a kingdom and then there's a place where you get benefits. But then there are other things you're supposed to do. There is, you know, there's the sanitation there's the lifestyle there's the rental there's the estate there's the you know social responsibility there's the job professional thing they're supposed to do there's the education element there's the healthcare. you know all of those things apply in the kingdom but you're only focused on the benefit side of it and compensation you're not thinking about the things that you are supposed to do as a member of the community you're not thinking of the things that you're supposed to do even for your own children you're not thinking of the responsibilities or the things that have been put in your care or the you know professional learning and development you're not thinking of all of that so i think i don't i think it's something i will have to do by myself holy spirit's leading me you know because um i find that there's there's there's, there's a lot of confusion as to what is right or what is wrong out there you know, I see a lot of people who should know better doing what, in my view, is clearly the wrong thing. And when people are doing what is the right thing, people that you expect to even be supportive are the ones that are, you know, trying to hold them back from doing the right thing. And like I said, I've said this several times in my musings that even when I worked in offices, I used to wonder then why you know, as in how we came about this whole Christianity that we believe that as Christians we should sit on the fence. So when we see injustice happening to other people, so long as it doesn't affect us, you know, we, we don't under, we, it's, we don't realize that silence is complicity. We don't, we don't 
we don't um, recognize that. Whereas, how I know that silence is complicity, even if I can't find a specific scripture that says that, although the Bible does, there's an example where God held Israel accountable because when um, Edom was attacking Judah, um, no, when um, I think it was the Assyrians, yes, when the Assyrians were attacking, was attacking Judah, Edom sat back and was laughing and gloating because they had some beef, sibling rivalry with Israel, with Judah. God didn't take kindly to it. He felt, in fact, he actually prophesied their destruction. And the reason why Edom does not exist today is because God actually held them accountable for that and said, oh, you saw people attacking, a stranger coming to attack your brother. And rather than for you to defend and stand with them on that day, you were actually gloating and laughing as they were being taken off into captivity. Yeah, I think it was against Israel. It was Israel that the Assyrians attacked. Then Babylon attacked Judah. So he said that it was, you know, that therefore, for that reason, I will come against you. I will destroy you. He actually pronounced the judgment. I can't remember which of the prophets um, pronounced that judgment. Maybe it was Jeremiah or so. But it was one of those clear prophetic utterances, very, very clear. And after that, the destruction of Edom came and they were more or less erased from, you know, I don't think there was much reference made about that tribe again in subsequent um, places in the Bible. So God, we have evidence in scripture that God doesn't take kindly to that. If an injustice is taking place in your very before, as in before you, you, you witness it. It's like being witness to a crime and then the family, like you saw a kidnapping take place in front of you. And these kind of things, these are real things. And the family is very traumatized and then they are calling out for people to say witnesses to come forward. And then as a Christian, you now decide that because you don't want, you know, any trouble. I mean, we know you now decide that you're not going to come forth with information, either in secret to the family, either anonymously, as in you will do nothing. It's okay. Do you understand? Now you tell yourself that that's okay. I mean, because you've not committed any sin. So I think that whole, there's just a problem in that space. Whereas, I just think there's a problem. Whereas, for me, as far as I'm concerned, the scripture that says, do unto others as you want them to do unto you, covers that. Because if I was the one kidnapped, I would be praying. In fact, you will be telling yourself in captivity that that person that, thank God there was an eyewitness, that person that is there will tell the police what happened. Just for you to now find out later that that person refused to talk. Now, let us even flip it. If the eyewitness was the parent of who was actually taken, will you not go to the police and tell them what you saw? Or talk to someone at least that can help? Will you keep quiet? So anyway, um, for me, I will. I, I, I am, and maybe, I, I guess the Holy Spirit, I have to really sit down and just pick out all the scriptures. And like I said, maybe talk about it on this museum and find a place i i myself need to just document it somewhere and write it in an orderly way and say okay um a mini book even if it's just a pdf which i can easily design you know by myself or the you know you know and just remind myself because i need to honestly i need to have it as a mini handbook that i consult every now and then i don't i don't want to be searching the bible <laughs> because it's really i mean what i should just desire than planning to do it like a very sophisticated book let me just take a title just take out the scriptures and just headline them and copy them on word until i can actually write prose or narrative around it and even if i never will write narrative at least let me know that this is what the bible says about hospitality i need all of those things 
so that I can situate it into the modern context because I don't want to be this kind of fence-sitting Christian that all of us are. I'm not, I'm not available for that game because if anything happens to me that is, you know, negative or whatever, I would hope that there will be people that will speak up for me and say, no, you understand what I'm saying? This is not, this, this is not Shola or this is not, or this version of what is being said is not who we know. I would really hope and pray that people would speak up for me in cases when I cannot speak, for some reason I can't speak up for myself. So it's better that I do it for others as well in the little way that I can. So that if by chance, I don't know what, you know, life, how the the circle of life will go or the dice will roll, find myself in a situation where, you know, conversations or whatever it, it may be, one needs someone else, another voice to speak up for you. So um, I'm just going to read, um, I mean, today is Sunday, so I'm not going to spend too much time. It's a time I think when most of us would be doing some Christian or faith-based thing. And for those of us who may who may not be well, then thank you. I think this may be helpful for us as well. So Second Timothy 2. In fact, in Timothy, the book of Timothy, that Paul wrote to Timothy, you could really tell that Timothy was a spiritual son because he took a lot of care to really explain things to him in an ABC format, like rudiments, 101, um. Christian pastoral doctrine 101 about how a Christian should be and even though a lot of it he was writing it to Timothy as a leader as a Christian leader as a pastor of the flock it's also relevant for every Christian who wants to live a life that is in line with the word of God because everything that he said really because if you notice Jesus doesn't really even though the Bible talks about a higher standard for bishops the higher standard is the standard that is he put, what is is actually the same standard for all Christians. The only difference is that for a bishop, it is a must. So the person shouldn't have any issues in that area. It shouldn't be somebody who is still working through those issues. But the actually the standard that is actually set for bishops and pastors is the same standard for the disciple for for normal believers like you and I, because it's the whole the same Holy Spirit. It's the same word of God. We have the same thing. You know, the, the pastor doesn't receive a greater anointing to be holy simply because he's a pastor. No, he still has to, you know, work on his flesh. He still has to consecrate himself or herself. He has to spend time in the word and in prayer. He has to have a relationship and intimacy with the Holy Spirit. The same effort, in fact, maybe even more perhaps, but the same effort that we would have to put, that's exactly what they would have to put. So it's not like there's a higher standard for them per se compared with us. It's the same, but what the Bible teaches is that for the we must be able to verify that. So this Christian, a bishop should be should be a mature Christian who has worked on his or herself in such a way that there are certain things that the person is 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 not dealing with anymore, or at least has known how to handle in terms of the flesh. The person is controlled, can manage his or her anger. Is a husband of one wife, you know, is not in a polygamous marriage kind of situation and is hospitable you know is, is a very what's the word i'm looking for very self-controlled person in the doctrine of christ has a you know is responsible is credible you know so that, that, that there's a that there's a history of good works and reputation 
of such a person. So that he or she is a model that other Christians, younger Christians can look up to. And I don't mean younger in age, but younger in the faith. You know what I'm saying? So don't put somebody that has issues in the flesh, has substance abuse, abuse problems, cannot keep their hands to themselves. You know what I'm saying? Cannot keep their hand, you know, out of the, 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 the teal, has problem, integrity issues, is known to be a liar. You know, those kind of things that really, so those, such people should never be in leadership. Allow them to be in the congregation and be working to their issues, caution them, encourage them, advise them, you know, and all that. But don't put them in positions of leadership. That's the clear message of the Bible. So I'm going to read Second Timothy 2. Um, and I'll just read, take some, you know, I'll just pick and choose some verses. You can read the entire thing. It's actually, the whole of Timothy is, is a delight to read. It's so easy. So anyway, um, from verse 1, it says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard of me, among many witnesses, the same commits to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So you see that? He's also saying that, look, be strong in the grace that you that you have received of me and from many other witnesses. But he says, commit it to other faithful men. In other words, look for people like yourself that you that you'll be able to pass this grace to teach these things. But look for men that will be able to teach others as well. And I understand this principle because in my former place of work we had this. We used to call it train the trainer. And whenever we had a policy or anything that we wanted to bring out and socialize in the organization we always looked for those kind of you know those people who are like champions those people who just like to carry initiatives they don't even care you know they, they don't mind if it's extra work for them outside of their day job they're a very unique and special kind of people you look for those people and every organization has them and you train them and then they will take it upon themselves to train others within the organization to teach to help organizations understand to help teams within that organization, understand that law, I mean, um, that policy, and implement it. And it always worked perfectly. It took a lot of pressure off us, whoever the initiators of the policy were, and it enabled us to be able to drive implementation of those policies all the way down the level of the organization by using trusted people, voices, trusted voices, and passionate voices, by the way. But we selected them. So that was what he was saying to him here. So, and he, what he meant by faithful men, in other words, people that you have tested and proven and seen that they are faithful. Those are the people that you should teach the gospel. Not just anybody that raises up their hand and says they want to be there, but people that you know are that, you, that are like you, have the same passion. Then he now says, now, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that was entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strives for mastery, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. So in other words, as we are ascribing to be, you know, um, as we are soldiers of Christ, ascribing for a win or a gain or a prize or a quest, we should do it lawfully, you know. Because if at the end of the day you know that the person who is judging your, 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 your how would I say, your training, your boot camp training or whatever it is, they are looking for one or two things. In Jesus' case, we are looking for their are Christian ethics that must be a part of the work and the journey and, and the battles that we fight. But if God can see that we are lying and we're cheating, we're stealing and we're killing on our journey, then you, there is no mastery. You will not be crowned. He says, so he's saying here that the end does not justify the means as far as God is concerned. It's not just about your journey, but how you strive is very important to the Lord. And he says, the husbandman that labors must be first partaker of the fruits. 
So let me move on to verse 19. Now, nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal that the Lord knows them that are his. And let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Good. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purges himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee, now verse 22, flee also youthful loss, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned, un unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they, they just foster strife, and the servant of the Lord must not be, must not strive, must not be a contentious person, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who had taken them captive at his will. So, the, you know, there's just a lot, I think, to really muse and meditate on here. He talks about purging ourselves from, you know, things that are not honorable, and that everyone that is named in the name of Christ should depart from iniquity. But I like the part where he says, The servant of the Lord must not strive. You must not be contentious. You should be gentle to all men. You should be apt to teach. You should be patient. You should be meek. So, I will just leave it there. It says, but follow righteousness, faith, love, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And verse 15 says, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So, there's just a whole, I think, there's a whole sort of like patient, peaceful, holy practice of the word of God that I think, to a very large extent, I think has become a blind spot for us in modern day Christianity. I think we are so focused on the blessings, we have stopped on the material blessings, we have stopped looking at the spiritual blessings of, of faith, of righteousness, of holiness, of patience, of kindness, of love, of charity. The things that really matter to God. One of my great aha moments in this my recent journey and work with the Lord was realizing that the New Testament actually weighs spiritual blessings higher than material blessings. And that the major difference, one of the major differences between the New Testament and the Old is not just about Jesus. It's not only Jesus. That's a major difference. It's not just the New Covenant. That's a major difference. It's not just the blood of Jesus, which is a major difference. It's not just the Holy Spirit, which is also a major difference. But the underlying thread is that the New Testament high-grade spiritual blessings far above Material blessings. The Old Testament was always about material blessings. You shall, I will give you land. I will give you blessings. Your children will be as um, like the sand of the sea. It was purely about the things you can see and get on this earth. But guess what? The, what we are practicing is Old Covenant blessing. When, you come when most of us come before God now, all what we are asking God, if you are not asking Him for houses, we're asking him for land, the same kind of promise that God gave the children of Israel in the whole covenant. Or we're asking for children, which is what Abraham, the whole covenant with Abraham was all about as well. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But let us understand that from God's perspective, if that old covenant was sufficient, there would have been no need for Jesus to come and die. 
So Jesus did not come and die, shed his blood, come and take on a human body, suffer the indignity of being raised by a woman and being subjected to people talking to him and telling many nonsense and being crucified on the cross and shedding his blood just to come and give us the same thing that was already available in the old covenants. There is no material blessing that the new covenant will give that will be bigger than what Israel has. That's why the, the um, children of Israel to, to today are some of the most richest people on the planet. I will just leave it at that. We need to we need to think very well on the way we are practicing this Christianity. And here, um, verse 19, Paul says, The foundation of God stands sure. The Lord knows them that are his. Let it not be that on the last day, when we all come before God, that some of us will be shocked that, God forbid, God is disowning us. Or that even the measure of the faith that we thought that we had was nothing in the eyes of God. The Bible is explicit, very clear as to how God is going to measure us. This is the marking sheet. And like every good student, even when you are in class and your lecturer reads, you go back and you take the textbook. When you have textbooks, you take the textbook and you read it. And you compare the notes you've taken in class and what your lecturer said with what is written in the textbook. Particularly when you're going to take an external exam. Because if your lecturer is not going to take the exam, he's not going to set the questions, you had better read the textbook and follow the marking scheme of the examiner. Now, we are all going to face an external exam. That exam is not going to be set by you or I, by our pastors or by our leaders. In fact, they will also be facing that exam with us. The marking scheme of that exam is in the Bible. God will not judge us on anything that is not written in this Bible. But he will surely hold us accountable for what is written in the New Testament. I will leave it at that. Thank you very much for listening. God bless you. Stay lifted and have a wonderful day in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.